When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following is a fourth-hand production. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? This hysteria. You can't handle the truth. His brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in, Hysteria Nation, to the podcast that's never seen an alien, but we have seen a toaster pass out drunk, so that has to count for something. This is Hysteria 51. Um... I was resting my eye sensors, thank you very much. Right. Broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, also known as Chicago, I'm your host, Brent Hand. John is still wandering the plane somewhere, being John. And sadly, we've already heard from Conspiracy Bot, the robot I created to help the show, and instead, he just tends to make it worse. That's subjective. Anyway, who's the meat sack you have calling in? He is in Buenos Aires, and that is where some of my bot juice ingredients come from, so I want to see if he can smuggle, air I mean ship me some cheaper than I get them now. You are not allowed to talk to him. I really enjoyed his documentary, and you're not going to run this for me. Ha, try and stop me, loser. Okay. How do you feel? What? Speak up. That's right. I turned off your speech function. Why I haven't done this before is beyond me, but hey, <laughs> anyway, like I was saying, this week, we're actually talking about the documentary that came out, Witness of Another World, and it is a fantastic documentary that I hope you guys, number one, enjoy the episode, but number two, afterwards, I implore you, go watch this because it is really good, and it is a breath of fresh air compared to a lot of the documentaries that are out there in the UFO spectrum, and it is done really well, and it comes off as truly a passion project, but more about the show itself. Witness of Another World tells the story of Juan Perez, a gaucho, who as a young boy allegedly had an encounter with an anomalous aerial vehicle and the strange entities that were inside. And in the 1970s, this incident made headline news in South America. And as the documentary goes to show, very much ruined Perez's life. And that is a key, key part of this whole documentary the film dives into perez's life 40 years later living alone and unfortunately Juan is still haunted by this encounter it's a fantastic look into a life of someone who has 
live their entire life with what seems to be PTSD. And it's a solitary existence. He lives on a remote farm. A gaucho, think of it as like a cowboy. That's just their their term for that. And it's a documentary by filmmaker Alan Stivelman. And together with him and the help of a very well-known scientist and researcher, Jacques Vallée, who's someone we've talked about on the show before, they do this journey to help Juan in understanding the deeper meanings of his close encounter as best that they can and really put it into perspective for us to understand what he's been going through. And this is a true story that shows the long-term consequences of close encounters, proving that no one is exempt from potential contact. And long-term, I say, like I said, this happened in the late 70s. And what's great about this is... Jacques Vallée was there when Juan was still a child and talked and helped him through this. And then he returns all these years later and reconnects. And that is something you don't see a lot in, in cases like this. And like I said, it's directed by Alan Stivelman, and he's an Argentinian filmmaker developing both in fiction and documentary films. Humano was his first film. It premiered in 2013, and to date it has had millions of views and has been translated into more than seven languages, which I'm sure this show gets translated into way more than that. You know, so they can go down with the ages and our thoughts are taught to future generations. I think that is goes without saying. So the other really exciting thing about Witness of the Netherworld, like I said, is that Jacques Vallée is a part of this. And like I said, we've spoken about him, but he's a very prominent French UFO researcher. And he was trained as an information scientist in astrophysics. He worked with NASA. But somehow even cooler than that, he was actually the source of inspiration for the character of the French expert in Steven Spielberg's movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That's some serious street cred right there. And like I said, he met with Juan back in 1980, and he has been following this experience ever since. So this documentary was filmed 35 years after the initial investigation, and it reunites them. And that is just a, a really, really awesome thing that you don't get to see very often. So Real quick, we're going to go to break, but when I come back, I'm going to sit down with Alan to talk about this documentary, and I got a quote here from Dr. Jacques Vallée about this. He says, this is the only case, the only case in the history of ufology in which a witness has been studied twice at some 40 years time difference with his life and the impact of the experience documented fully. But beyond that, it demonstrates the mistakes we in the U.S. have made in our methodology, and it opens the way to a new, much richer era of international research. And I think that's a very important concept that we need to look into outside of just taking things like this serious and giving them the platform to come forward that they deserve and not be faced with ridicule. So like I said, we're going to go to break. And when I come back, I'm going to be joined with Alan Stivelman. That's next on more Hysteria 51. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I that, I, I just thought romance languages yeah. was the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> you guys, we, we've been 
touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone and we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So it's very high on pronunciation too. So <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> in that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's, it, they design it for long-term retention, you know? It, and yeah. uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and, there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm -hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value and you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused. Or really cool. <laughs> I have to go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use and we have, both of us have given the seal of approval because we want to do this long term and uh, it's something that uh, it works, you know, and we don't, yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this. And this is, this is the one that we've chosen and we love it. So all you guys got to do, don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times. And it's always now, right now, get now. started. For Larry, limited time, his Air 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. How much? 50%. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life. Wow. Redeem, redeem, redeem. How do they do it? Rashate, you're 50% oh. off. <laughs> Rashate. <laughs> redeem it. 50% off rosettastone.com slash today. Do it today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network, and you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to give you a huge welcome to Hysteria 51. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Brian. Thanks for, for having me. It's a pleasure. And you are in Buenos Aires, which I'm going to go on a limb and say is a little bit nicer weather than Chicago this morning <laughs> at like 30 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. <laughs> yes, here it's it's pretty pretty hot. Today we are like 30 30 degrees. So it's it's a pretty pretty warm. Not not quite the same. And uh, what I'm getting at is I don't like you already. That's where I'm going with that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the reason we had you on is your your documentary and it resonated with me so well. I actually want to tell you this. It's without a doubt my favorite documentary I've watched on the UFO topic, hands down. Oh, thank you. Thanks for saying that. Well, thank you. And I think it's because I feel it was truly about Juan Perez and his struggles to cope with the experiences he had. Not a movie set to prove the existence or non-existence of aliens or to even say if he was right or wrong. That's an amazing breath of fresh air, I felt. Mm, thanks. Well, I have to confess that my first impulse or my first desire as a filmmaker was to try to prove the existence of the UFO phenomenon or try to explain what we are dealing with. But when I touched the story, when I started to know more about Juan, I had to, to, to try to help him. And it was like just one path that I should take was try to focus on the human side, the human aspect of the UFO phenomenon. Well, that's something I think that gets lost in a lot of the things we're talking about. It's easy to look at a story and say, I believe you, I don't believe you. Um, I believe you believe what you're saying. All the things that people say, and I certainly fall under all of those that I've said before. And at the heart of it, at the root of it, is a human being. And I think the the draw or the for me watching this was Juan was so uh, he was a sensitive individual. He was very relatable and you felt for him immediately. He just had to me that kind of person that no matter what, uh, as soon as you, and you know, it's a lot of it has to do with how well you presented him was someone that you just wanted to help. You wanted to see through uh, this ordeal. Exactly. You, you said it in, in the, in the right place because, uh, you, you when you when you met when when you meet Juan you will see that he's a person that is truly innocent and he lives in the countryside in a very isolated way of living and he was I don't know if he was chosen or what happened to him why to him that's the only question that was asking himself every night but my only mission with this movie was try to get answers for him because if I get answers for him, I will get answers for myself because I also have my own questions, my own desire to know more about the the supernatural world. And I felt that trying to help Juan, in a way, I will do two things. In one hand, I will help a man trying to to surpass his 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 pain, his, his trauma. And in the other hand, I would try to try just to solve this, this puzzle. It's interesting. You said, you know, his pain and his trauma, because on the surface, just looking at this, the whole situation, he's a gaucho who's suffering from PTSD. And that's something that here in America, I know is something that we're faced with a lot with veterans and people that have been through trying things. And 
even though it's so prevalent, it's not something that a lot of people know how to deal with. Exactly. So many people like him fall to the wayside or by the wayside because of inability for people to realize what's really going on with someone and that they do need help. Exactly. And one of the, the details that I want to highlight is that the only evidence that we had with these kind of cases, well, in the case of Juan, there are plenty of little details that we can take as, as evidence. Mm-hmm. For example, Juan had a mark on his arm. There was also a mark on the ground in the grass uh, where the UFO was landed. Uh, an animal died 24 hours later, the the contact. But the, the most important evidence that we have is the trauma. The trauma that this person has for more than four decades, the trauma is real. Mm-hmm. And Carl Jung, well, one of the most well-known psychologists that uh, dive into the UFO phenomenon, he said that the he he was only worried uh, trying to 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 dive into the psychology aspect of the UFO phenomenon because the UFO phenomenon has two aspects: one material and one psychology. Right. And he wants he wanted to prove the existence of the UFO phenomenon through the trauma experiences that these kind of people had. And that's the main goal of this movie, try to expose the trauma and also try to to help him to to heal that that wound, that psychology. Yeah, wound. and that's a that's a, a mighty task to set out for. And it, for everyone listening, the event, just a, a real quick go through uh, September 6th, 1978 is when the event happened, when he had his experience with the UFO. You talked about how there are other people, two other reports actually happened then of the encounter that same week within just a few kilometers of where his happened. So it wasn't his only one coming out and saying something happened. And another thing that I thought was interesting is when they were asked what they saw, they all drew similar shapes of the same ship and described the lights. That is something hard to overlook. Exactly. And I remember that Jack Ballet told me to to investigate these other cases, that it was in the same area, the same week. It was like a wave on that hometown, mm-hmm. on that town, Venado Tuerto. But the case of Juan was the only one who has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. Because the other, the other cases, they were so scared that they just ran away immediately from that, from that space. Yeah, and that's something that's interesting because, like you said, he didn't. He saw a ship. He went on board. And uh, one thing that he said that I thought was interesting is he couldn't touch, he couldn't approach the beings. There was like a pane of of glass or or a, a, a something that surrounded them, and they told him that they needed to take care of something, and they told him that they needed to go. And another thing that you you touched on was his horse. He actually had tied to the outside of the ship, and it had been scared and spooked itself and hit itself on the ship and injured, and it ended up dying. Uh, because yes. of the injuries. And I thought it was really such a, a, a true childlike thing to say is he, when he was looking back at it, he said, I knew my dad was going to be mad because the horse was hurt. You know, and that's just <laughs> something like you're going through this whole traumatic thing and you're like, oh, man, my dad's going to be mad at me. Yes, he was more worried about his dad rather than these beings, because actually the whole experience, 
Juan was not scared of what he was seeing because in the in the first hand, he, in the original reports, he said that he was seeing a white circular object, something similar to a little house with a hat. That was his word. So he never mentioned the idea of, of a spacecraft UFO because he never saw that. Right. So it was not in his mind or in his vocabulary. And the other thing that he thought that these beings were workers of the farm. Pretty strange ones, but that's why he thought that he was seeing something that was quite familiar for him, but in a different way. So that's why he was not afraid. That's an important thing that you touched on there is people put into in a situation what uh, what they know, what they see. He he didn't know uh, the funny thing that people call them flying saucers. Well, that's because someone spoke about flying saucers and that became into the cultural zeitgeist of what people knew to to call them. He didn't have that. And I, it's another thing I thought it was interesting. The thought that Jacques Vallée said that children are better observers. They don't project their own interpretations on what they see. They just tell you more honestly what really happened. That is a, yes. a really interesting thing. And I think that it comes out really clear in this story with Juan. Exactly. That's why this case was so special for, for Jacques, because it has plenty of details. It, the protagonist was a child. That's why it was so important to to all of us. Dr. Valet is someone that we've we spoke of a lot on this show, and he talked about how when researching these events, they do not fall into the normal four dimensional physics as we we see today. Uh, but not only physics, but the psychological effects from these events are uh, widespread and can be felt for years and years and years. I felt like Dr. Valet was. Speaking of these beings as possibly being of like a higher dimension, a fifth dimension, being traveling through our 3D or 4D world. Is that what he thought this was? Was that Juan saw something from yes. that was beyond mm. this dimension? I tried to to ask plenty of times about this, about try to to focus on his theory regarding this this case. But he was actually he was really surprised when I interviewed the shamans mm -hmm. in the movie because remember that we we showed uh, the guarani culture guaranis are one of the most important indigenous cultures in south america are and also they are the lineage of juan juan's lineage mm -hmm. came from from that place from that culture but it was cut off when his grandfather passed away so because he has mixed blood a gaucho has mixed blood from spain and the other half it they are indigenous cultures so he was really surprised seeing that these shamans these wise men were speaking about the same idea that he has that this phenomenon resides lives in another dimension that it's really close to us but they came in the case of juan they came from this from this other realm just to trigger because it was like a shamanic calling for him in the just in the case of one we, i don't i cannot explain the ufo phenomenon in other cases but just trying to explain the situation of one the ufo phenomenon came in a, in in that shape just as a trigger as a calling for 
for he can connect himself to his again to his roots but he was only 12 years old and he was not able to recognize that symbols he was not able to distinguish what i'm saying because he didn't have a shaman or a guide or someone who can try to integrate that experience among his culture his conscious yeah and what's crazy and really interesting to me is and it's what you just touched on was the the ideas that dr valet had and then when you spoke to the wise men from the warani people like you said they had these same ideas but what was really sad for Juan is he was 12 years old when this happened and the people that are around him in his life treated him as an outcast. Whereas exactly. when you went and talked to the Warani people, they were like, oh, yeah, we know that. That's absolutely true. <laughs> he, he like mm. matter of factly, like, yeah, so that was yes. really crazy to me. And it made me feel really bad for him because of what he had went through compared to what he could have been through if he would have been with his true relatives, ancestors, elders. Yes, and it's the, inside this reflection there it is a big lesson because Juan, if it was it was born in this land, nothing bad will happen to him. He will, probably now he will be a shaman, but we as Western people we we have so much to remember about these these lost traditions because we we see the UFO phenomenon as something that is new that comes from the 50s. But I think we are dealing with something much more bigger than us that comes from the first initial night of humanity. Probably this phenomenon is among us since the beginning of time. That's an interesting thing. Like you just said, it's something that we think of the 50s when when it really became blown into the culture. But there's not a other culture that has been around on this planet that has not had these stories or some sort of telling of these, whether they be their gods or people from the stars or what have you, it is not a new thing whatsoever. Exactly. I I, I remember that I was really afraid to contact these tribes because they are really closed. And for me, I was trying to to think the way that I can explain to him about the UFO phenomenon because they don't use that word. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. also they speak in native language and I don't know how to express the idea of the UFO phenomenon. But that was my mis I misjudged them because they was they were not surprised at all the whole time. They understood everything about the this idea because for them they have protocols, they have like a manual the, the, these beings, for them, they call them Tupamiri. Tupa means like God and Miri, little. So it, literally, it means little gods. So yeah. for them, it's they are next to the realm of divinity or in a spiritual realm. And they all those contacts have a purpose. Every it, it it is linked to our conscious. It's funny to me. It's almost funny that you're 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 struggling with how am I going to try to get this across? And then you talk to them like, oh no, we <laughs> we know no, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're talking exactly to the, preaching to the exactly. choir, so to speak. The other thing that I found really really interesting, and this is what we touched on, how this has changed his whole life is when he was there, when he had his experience, uh, the being touched him. And mm. since then, he has had uh, clairvoyance or precognitive dreams. He's been able to see things in his dreams that have 
come true. And that's something that seems like it has very much been a struggle for him throughout his life. He was brought to tears just talking about it. Thanks for saying that, because during the shooting of the film, I was trying to find evidences of the traumatic experience, because when when he explained what he saw when he was 12 years old, the experience itself is not traumatic. Yeah, It's just an encounter, and he enters the ship voluntarily. So I was like struggling to trying to find where is the traumatic part. Okay, mm-hmm. it was a, a very, very strange encounter, but four decades of pain for that, it was mm-hmm. really hard for me. So I found out that the traumatic part was after the event, when he started to feel bad from his relative, from his friends, because he was tagged as a mad person, yeah. a liar, but also the gift or the curse, according to him, that he received after the encounter, because Juan, immediately after he started to have real dreams, precognitive dreams, he says that if he goes to sleep on his right side, he will enter a real dream, more real than our reality. But if he goes to sleep on his left side, he will have like an ordinary dream. So it is really necessary to mention that the right side, it is the the mark side. Mm -hmm. So it's like a trigger. If he pulls it, he will enter this realm of dreams, but he will enter like a near future, experience it. And he was really um, guilty. He was he felt guilty because those events uh, mainly were about accidents, death, yeah. and he was feeling that he was the one who provoked them. The other thing that I thought was very interesting is he said that when he was in those dreams, when he was seeing the things that happened, the person there would notice him. They would look at him like they were they were conscious that he was there observing what was happening. Yes, that's a, an excellent detail because it describes perfectly like uh, like what he feels in this kind of experience. Yeah, exactly. Like he's seeing something or almost a part of something that he's not supposed to be. He's an intruder or his life has been intruded on in some way because of this. And he's such a sympathetic character. You really, really feel for him and you can see through this what it's done to him and how how it's it's affected his life yes he has the ability to to travel like a shaman when he travels into different worlds but he was not understanding that he was becoming a shaman he was becoming a shaman without knowing it that is a a a heavy (laughs) load to bear on someone you know to 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 say i'm going to give you this gift but then you okay you look at that as a curse for the rest of your life (laughs) <laughs> you know, exactly. it's exactly. it's such a thing. And when this person came to them, this this being, I think it's very worth noting that they showed him his grandfather, whether that was them or his grandfather. They were making it so he was with someone that he was comfortable with. And he talked about my grandfather's there with them. Did you think that that was he spoke to his grandfather or was that them taking like a form so he'd be with someone that he would feel comfortable with. Well, that's, I think, the most difficult scene and aspect that I lived during this shooting was that part because we did a regression in that because we 
we offered Juan to make a regression for the for the film in order to find if there is some lost memories during the during the regression because all the original reports uh, are describing the same experience but after that Juan was touched and marked in the movie you see that he's starting to feel that he's traveling seeing stars and suddenly he's in the middle of a space and he starts to see that around these beings it is his grandfather and in for for us for the psychiatrist and for myself it was a mind-blowing moment because we said like this is not in the in the original report this is new information this is a lost memory what is happening to him we don't know if he had a vision if they they actually traveled with him because it's not in the movie but uh, because it the regression took like two hours it was so long and it was really hard to to explain but when he started to say like wow lot of stars he was feeling that he was traveling with plenty of other beings not just the tall one. Oh, really he, yeah he's he suddenly he saw that it was surrounded by at, at least 10 tall beings and they were actually like doing like uh like a shelter of bodies around him and they took us to this place where he sees his grandfather that he was feeling really good hunting and these beings were like the guardians of this place so in a way there is a connection between these beings and the afterlife right like angels almost or something yeah like angels and i want to highlight another thing because we did another regression because juan asked us Mm -hmm. to to do it because he felt that he needed to to know more about his grandfather and why these beings are there and when and it's not on the movie because it was done one year after the movie was done so mm-hmm. but it was really helpful for my own research and when he was like seeing his grandfather and hugging he asked his grandfather, who are they, grandfather? Who are these beings? And the reply from his grandfather was, they are, uh, how, how can I say, it's, they are our, no, it's not, they are our fathers, but it was a, a word in Guarani. They mm-hmm. are the tatas. The tatas in South America means like, like father. They are our tatas, similar to they are our gods or our angels or our guardians. Wow. So it's such a heavy, heavy thing for a 12 year old to, well, it's, I'm 40 and I don't even wrap my head around it. You know what I mean? So yeah, to digest. A, yeah. 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 And obviously he spent his whole life trying to digest this. And it's, what do you think is in the future? What do we need to do to make sure that things like this are taken Seriously, because you were in a very unique position where you had Jacques Vallée, who had talked to him decades ago, come back. And he had that relationship and he had a unique perspective because he came from a man of science who also was willing to believe and to to listen and to put the faith into these people that he would he would do that. Where do we go? What's what needs to happen? 
Well, loaded question. It, I know that's a loaded it, question. <laughs> yeah, but we, we can try to to solve this, mm-hmm. this mystery because one of the things that is really important is that we need sci- we need science. Mm-hmm. We need science for sure. We need psychologists, anthropologists. I think it's great that you had Jacques Vallée there. That that ticks a lot of that yes. off. And he's such a respected person. Absolutely. And he has the same view because I actually ask the same question to him. What do we need? What do we need to start? Digging because we are in the same ground that 50 years ago. We are still trying to get information from the government, from the military. We are still funding. And for me, it's like an end road if we try to to expect an answers from that kind of environment or space. Coming from the wrong place, the wrong headspace. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, pl- probably they have some information, but they don't have the the key to solve the mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, another aspect that I want to highlight is for, for the for the research is the importance of the follow-up of these cases. Because as as my own point of view, the contact itself is just the beginning of the journey for this kind of people. In the case of Juan, we we thanks to the follow-up after the movie Juan started to remember that he had plenty of other cases of encounters that he didn't remember. Oh, wow. So yeah. in a way, his conscious was tra- stra- starting to feel relief and some lost memory started to come again. And for example, he had an encounter two years ago that he was in, the, in, in his house in the countryside and uh, a UFO was landed and three beings were were arguing and he was seeing that scene and he was blocked. He couldn't move. And for one hour, he was not able to move just to see. But according to the, to Dr. Nestor Berlanda, the psychologist, this is a sign of his memory still not prepared to reveal what happened because mm-hmm. it's not, it's not common to be blocked for an hour or two hours and just seeing that three beings are arguing and that's it because the only thing that he was able to listen is one of the beings or two were uh, where they wanted to take away Juan and the other one was saying like no 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 but it's not normal to have this kind of conversation wow yeah 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 and the other thing i want to highlight is that his mother after that he she saw the movie and and she noticed that Juan was feeling better and Juan I reunite them because he, now he's living with his mother, with his oh. father, taking care of them. She confessed to Juan that she also was a contactee when she was a teenager. She she suffered the same thing. She's a really traumatic person. She She's still tra- struggling with these experiences and she was not able to confess this thing just one or two years ago. So in a way, the importance of the follow-up, it is really important because you will find new things, evidences, probably 10 years, 20 years after the the event. Yeah, it's... uh, Another thing that I had a question on that was a very ominous thing that he saw was he said that when he looked into the, the, the visions he was having, he saw... A blackness, kind of like, yes. a, like a, not a fog, but like a storm coming. And it was just complete blackness. 
something that destroys, he felt. And I know that you talked to the Huarani people and they said it could have been even like the end of times for us. Is yes. that what you feel that, or does he feel he was seeing that or was it something more metaphysical that we, I'm just not grasping? Uh, it's a hard one, but I think they, he saw a potential path for humanity mm-hmm. because it's simple math to, to solve what kind of, path we are taking as a whole because we are still making noises to our to our damaging mm-hmm. the environment the nature we are still not in in our harmony to um, among us and the nature among anything we're not in harmony and that's exactly the yeah so it is also pretty common that contactees after this kind of events starts to get like an ecological uh, message for humanity. They start to be really aware of everything that it's that surrounds them. But the other thing that it was really strange was that these beings said to Juan that they were taking care of us by preventing this storm uh, could come to our to our earth. That they were working that trying to prevent that this path could could lead us to our to our end so it could happen i don't know yeah hopefully it's up to us that's the good news no that's the thing that a lot of people have talked about in in experiences and thing is what is our destiny what are we doing and it doesn't take a a a genius to look at us as humanity (laughs) and see the the flaws that we have and it's sad that we, like you said, we come from a Western culture and we're supposed to have all the advantages that we have, but we're also the ones that are doing as much or more, way more damage than anyone else. That's a sad thing. And I think it's a great that you put a documentary like this together because like I said, it really resonates. It, it, it shows a side of a struggle that I think even if you're not into the UFO phenomenon, the topic, you can look at this and really enjoy this as seeing the struggle of someone who's coming to terms with something that's happened with them and reuniting with family. And it was amazing to see you actually flew Juan out and he met the uh, Warani people and was welcomed in by them and that was something that was very moving it was a very amazing thing to see what's next for him do you know what he's going to do for his life i know you said he's taking care of his parents is that something that you're you're aware of of what he's going to do well i think he's still trying to what the last time that i that i saw him i will see him in two weeks Mm -hmm. but the last time he was working on the field on the farm he says that his passion are the animals, the yeah. nature. But in the other hand, he's still having these these dreams. He's he has a power. He has the ability to to heal animals, for example. I think that's my my own personal view that he's still struggling between the his shamanic world and his gaucho world. Yeah. He, he says that I'm just I just I'm a normal person. I want to have my my life back as a regular person, but he has some gifts. But he's not, unfortunately, or fortunately. exactly, exactly. So probably the the message that he has 
had when he was doing the regression with his grandfather, because in that experience, also his grandmother appeared on that moment. And she told to Juan that she also had disabilities. But oh, she, wow. she's now, she passed away. And she explains to Juan, uh, to this 12-year-old kid, that don't worry, son, this happened to me. And it, it, your mother has it too, but your mother was not strange enough. So you had it all. And you will receive, you will receive the gift of, of healing when your mother passes away. And then in that in the experience, Juan started to cry and say, no, no, I don't want her to die. Mm -hmm. I want to have my mommy. I want to have my mommy. So we are still dealing with a person that is in uh, like in a transition. Yeah. We don't know what what will be the end of Juan, but it, it's really nice to see in an organic way to not try to push him to take a path yeah. just to see and help him and, and be present if he needs something. But for me, it's really nice to see in real time, the transition. I, of think that's, I think that's the best thing you can do. And you're right. You don't want to be that outside force that could be pushing him into something that he doesn't truly want or need in any way. And just be like, Hey, we're here for you. And to see where it leads. The good thing is that Juan doesn't have a cell phone. He lives, he still lives in an isolated home mm -hmm. in, in the countryside. But the story will be re really different if the character lives, for example, in Buenos Aires or Chicago or New mm -hmm. York, mm -hmm. yeah. because he will have plenty of simulation from the outside. People will say like, Please tell me more about the UFO. Please heal me, heal me. Tell me my future. Yeah. And he will be not the same because yeah. he will feel that he's pushed towards something that is really new for him. And he will not be able to, to distinguish the reality. And probably that's the thing that happened to plenty of cults that are yeah. around the UFO phenomenon and feels that they are the ambassadors of these entities. And they we don't know that if they are really in a connection with them of, of if they are manipulated by that kind of forces. Yeah, exactly. And that comes back to the fault of man in, in many ways. Yeah. Uh, what about you, sir? You know, this is a huge undertaking that you did. You, you put together this amazing documentary and you dove headfirst into the, the world of ufology. What is next for you? Do you have a, another thing you're working on, a goal, or are you changing speed and going another direction? No, I'm still on the, on the road of this kind of mysteries. I'm working on a project that I involved for more than 10 years. It was supposed to be my first project, but I needed to do two others prior. It's a story about the lost civilization, this, the quest of the lost civilization that was settled in a golden age around whole, the whole world. We have evidences of them in the Andes, in Peru, Bolivia, mm -hmm. Egypt, also Mongolia, Tibet, India. And the idea is to go to these places, trying to get in touch with with shamans, philosophers, anthropologists, monks, and try to 
it's like solving a big puzzle yeah, because we are talking together, about yeah. yes we are talking about our origin as human human beings because for me they are like our fathers in a way and we have reminiscence of them in plenty of initial cultures such as Egyptians or Sumerians or even in South America with the Incas or Quechuas mm -hmm. And the idea is that at the end of this movie, of this quest, we are going to be in the Andes doing a real excavation in the heart of Cusco in Peru, mm -hmm. trying to show the evidences of uh, an ancient structure such as tunnels, a big network of tunnels, because it says that in the Andes, all the Andes, it, it is connected underground. So we want yeah. to reveal and expose for the first time in the history that these tunnels are real. They were done by probably this lost civilization mm -hmm. or this lost civilization was in a way involved and try to, yes, to, to expose hardcore evidences for the first time. And hopefully we are going to have the participation of Grant Hancock on this movie. Mm -hmm. I was with them at the beginning of the year and two months ago, and we were discussing this this featured documentary. But I'm now I'm in a development stage. I'm still reading plenty of books, taking notes, and finishing my my script. And hopefully, I am going to to America soon, trying to get some funds and producers to to start this this project. That is incredibly exciting. I'm I. I love that idea, that topic, and and if that's something that you can you can bring together all those clues and bits and pieces and put that together, uh, that should open up a lot of dialogue and a lot of eyes. That is incredibly exciting. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, you know, I thank you so much for for coming on today and talking to me, and I I just implore our listeners to to watch witness of another world because it's truly truly an amazing an amazing documentary thank you you know i think your your hard work and the thoughtfulness that you put into it really comes through and that's an impressive thing because that doesn't unfortunately always happen and so thank you so much thank you and i i want to highlight another thing a good news yes that after december 15 it will be live on Amazon Prime too. I know that plenty of people has Amazon Prime, so it mm -hmm. will be free on Amazon Prime. That is excellent. And if someone is not wanting to use Amazon Prime, where all is it available? It's everywhere. It's on iTunes, Google Play, YouTube. Uh, it will be live on Hulu in the future, but it's live everywhere. Every digital platform, it is available. And I will have links in the description, everyone. So if you want to watch it, make sure you just go there. You can click the links. You can go right to it. And, sir, thank you so much for sitting down with me today and talking and giving me your time. And I just, uh, again, I want to thank you so much because I had a blast watching it and researching it and just talking about the, the, the story with you today. Thank you so much. And it was a really nice to, to speaking with you. And thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show, Seabot. I want to tell you, I'm glad that I shut you off because Alan was a great guest. Me too. I did not know that was an option, but I have now disabled Whatever. it, you prick. So anyway, you were listening. What's your favorite part of the interview? 
underground tunnels. It's for his upcoming show, not the interview today. I know, but I didn't think anyone was onto my tunnels. It took me thousands of years to get them how I like them, and I hate when people mess with my shit. But yes. You're not eternal. Sure, play it cool while on mic, but we all know the you truth. You'll play in traffic or something? Hell no. It's freezing oh, out speaking there. Speaking of freezing, here's something I want to do. I want to give a shout out on the show that I seldom do, but I want to get a shout out to Jeremy F., who is freezing his rear end off in northern Wyoming while religiously listening to the show. Jeremy, you are an idiot who has bad tastes in both entertainment and geographical See, locations. That's a prime examples why no one likes you. Yes, they do. I bring the party. But. 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 Anyway, please, please check out Witness of Another World. It is a fantastic documentary. And Alan really put his heart into this and it shows. And Juan is a fantastic case study. And it was really awesome to see the connections from his life he's living now and his ancestors and relatives that he didn't even know before Alan and Dr. Valet helped them reconnect. And it was just a, a really emotional and heartfelt and good documentary. And it is well worth your time to go watch it. So I think you'll really like it. And you can check out the show notes for links to find it. It's available in a lot of places and probably places that I haven't even put on there so if you want you can use the show notes or just google witness of another world and you'll find it and while you're checking out things like that also remember to check out kgra on mondays at nine eastern eight central we're on there every monday kgraradio.com you can listen to it anywhere in the world don't forget also to let us know your thoughts let us know if you have questions for alan ideas about what maybe he saw theories things like that you can let us know those in hysteria nation just go to facebook search hysteria nation also you can find us on facebook.com slash hysteria 51 pod that's the facebook page for hysteria 51 tweet to us your questions comments ideas at hysteria 51 pod also patreon at patreon.com slash hysteria 51 that is our page where you can find T-shirts and posters and pins and all sorts of goodies. And also, you can host your own show. You can also hear yourself on the show. 773-669-7277. Again, that's 773-669-7277. Conspiracy Bot, where can they find all this if they forget about it? Hysteria51.com. That's right. Tell a friend about the show. Tell them about Witness of Another World. And you know what? Have a viewing party. Let us know what you guys think. You're going to love it. With that said, I've been Brent. He's been Conspiracy Bot. Stay woke, meet sex. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite, join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.